Well, Luke chapter 15. It's the account of uh, three parables. We tend to link the parables together because they do have a lot of similarities. Uh, There are differences as well. The third parable, the parable of the prodigal son, or some have called it the parable of the waiting father, uh, gives us some unique insight, a little different from the first two parables. For some of you, I know this is a very, very familiar story. For others, not. So I just ask that you put on your well-cleaned glasses this morning, and just let's have a look at it one more time. There are three characters in the story, you know that, the younger son, the father, and the older son. Can you identify with the three? Is there one of them that captures the me that I really want to be? Uh, Let's just take the elevator up to the top floor, look over the balcony on these three individuals. We kind of need to look over the bigger drama that's unfolding. So first the younger son. The younger son didn't get along with his dad. He, He didn't like his dad. Now that's an assumption. He, at least he didn't like life at home. Not sure why he didn't, but he wants to get away. He wants his inheritance. That was disgraceful on his part. And it basically meant that he wished his dad was dead so he could have what he thought he deserved. It was not just a family issue either. We should keep this in mind. It was a village issue. You don't treat your dad that way and ever hope to come back to a small town and, because it, it has serious repercussions. There's a stigma to that. Interestingly enough, in one of the books of Judaism, the book of Zerach, there was counsel not to distribute the inheritance prematurely because the inheritance could be lost. And when the inheritance is really needed, then it's no longer available. And that's true also today. A lot of wisdom. A lot of wisdom in knowing the timing of when to distribute the inheritance. Well, truer words couldn't have been spoken. The inheritance was lost and, and seems like rather quickly in the narrative that we're looking at. The younger son paints for us a picture of the kinds of things that can happen when we move God out of the equation and we move common sense out of the pathway. You do have to think about a rainy day. You do have to think about preserving your inheritance. You do have to calculate risk and say, I'm not prepared to risk my inheritance because if I lose it, it's gone forever. But he didn't think about that. He threw caution to the wind, and uh, he didn't factor in the famine or the depression or the recession. Uh, He just wasn't thinking. You never know how things can change so quickly in our world today. I know most of us are, we're watching with, with, with sadness in our hearts as we see what's happening between Hamas and Israel, and we see the, the human carnage. It just touches you, and you want to say, stop it, stop it. So you never know what happens in the Ukraine. You never know what happens in Russia. You never know when somebody sneezes in Greece and how it impacts somebody living over here. And after getting knocked to the mat a dozen times, he figures it out. Wowzers, I'm broke. 
I'm alone. My friends are gone. And I have to work. But there are no jobs except feeding pigs. And the detail is significant since in Judaism, a pig was an unclean animal. This is a very dishonorable job to a Jewish man. This is tragic. This is the bottom rung. Who would have thought from rags to riches or riches to rags in such a short time? The pigs are eating and he's hungry. Solution, eat the pig food. At least you'll live. Not a great diet, but you gotta do what you gotta do. Now you always love it when verse 17 happens in anyone's life. In the New Living uh, Translation it reads, when he finally came to his senses. When he finally came to his senses. That's the starting point of change. Actually that's the starting point of repentance and godly sorrow. To come to your senses, to come to yourself, to have an aha moment and say, things have got to change in my life. It's the beginning of a journey. To admit your need is huge. So difficult for so many of us to admit our need. Just to suck in the pride and to face who we are. And you pray for people who are wandering, who have become lost. That, that God in his grace would give them an aha moment where they come to their senses and they start to see their way back. I don't know how that comes. I don't know how the Spirit works. But I think it's often God giving to us that sense, what am I doing? Why am I so deceived? Where is this going? And you come to yourself and you begin to think through the next steps. You see the consequences of sin can be the beginning of an aha moment. It's painful to watch, but quite incredible how it change is wrought through consequences. Oh, I hate to see it in, in a family's life. I hate to see it in a friend's life. But the consequences, the difficult consequences tend to bring a shift. Repentance is important. Yeah, it's not wise to gloss over repentance and short-circuit the work that God is doing in our hearts. Repentance begins with seeing things as they really are. Repentance begins by seeing one's actions as sinful first in the sight of God and then in the sight of others. And the son's repentance led him to his father. Oh, and see how he is rehearsing his speech to his dad. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as your hired servant. He does not speak of or claim any rights. He hopes only for mercy. There are no demands. It's a wonderful lesson for us when we come to God. Drop all the excuses. Forget about your sense of being wronged, your rights. Forget about your misfortune. Just drop it all and come to the end of yourself and say, I need mercy. I need mercy. I need grace. I need the Father's grace in my life. So that's the lesson.
of the prodigal son. To just authentically come to the end of your rope and admit, without someone to lift me out of this, I'm in a huge mess and I can't make it. So he came to himself, he came to his senses. He's on his way to the me that he wants to be because he came to his senses. So the father, while we're up there on that balcony, overlooking this dramatic scriptural principle and picture, take a moment to look at the father. The first thing I noticed about the father that grabs me immediately is that he let him go. He let him go. He let his son go into a far country, probably knowing that the way his son was wired, that he would never be able to hold him back. He probably guessed he wasn't ready to fly. He wasn't ready to be independent. He wasn't ready to go on his own, that he would fail. But I think the hope of the father was that at least he would come back. At least he would come back. There's probably not a parent in this room today who doesn't get this story. And as the years go by and your children grow up, the story gets a little more real. When the kids are small, like many of our young families here, well, you don't let them go. Your job is to teach. Your job is to model. Your job is to draw the, the, the lines in the sand and love them and correct them and then do it over again <laughs> and then do it over again and then do it over again and then do it over again until one day they emerge as young men and women who know their boundaries, who know their world, who have, have respect for their world, who have good self-awareness and they hopefully love God with all of their hearts. I mean, that's the task. And no one said it was easy. And no one said it wasn't exhausting. But there came a time when this young man wanted to go and his father let him go. Now we do have a sense that the father was a wealthy man, that he had servants, that he had influence, that he had power, that he could have called his servants together and said, my son Junior has gone off. I know he's going to make a mess of his life. He's, made a, he's going to make a fool of himself. He's going to tarnish the family name. And I want you to go and get him. He's only been gone for a little while. I want you to go and get him. And I expect that they could have muscled him home. But no. The father knew his son. And he knew he had to come. He had to come to himself. So what does the father do? He watches. He watches. The father is hard to understand. I mean, birthday after birthday, he lights the candles and he waits. What else can he do? Think about your own life. Has the Father been waiting for you? How many candles has he lit? Just waiting. Another year, another year. My son's not home yet. My daughter's not home yet. And the Father is waiting. The Father doesn't violate your freedom. He doesn't force the words out of you. <clears throat> I surrender. I give up. I'm sorry. I come to my senses. No, it has to come from our own free will. It has to come from us.
And the father respected the free will of his son. One of the things that I really love about the father is his patience. It's his patience. He waits for us. He waits for us. He's been so patient with me. And you as well, I'm sure. The parable says, And while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And then the son gives his little rehearsed speech. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, and you know how it goes. It's like the father isn't even listening. His father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. It was a huge shame in the village for a son to dishonor his father. This was a public humiliation for the father. But this compassionate father was willing to be humiliated in order to save his child. The father knows the rules of the village. His neighbors probably told the dad, don't give your kid any money. You know, we've watched him. We know your kid. Don't let him go. So there was a community humiliation. And if that son ever came home, he would have to walk the gauntlet of the community. Maybe that's why the father runs to his son to protect him on his way into the village. As he runs to his son, can you see him? The older man with flowing robes is running to his son. One rabbi confirms that running was not to be part of an older Jewish man. It was humiliating. Rabbi Ben Zarak says, a man's manner of walking tells you what he is. Aristotle says, great men never run in public. Father ran. Francis Thompson, a 19th century British poet, wrote The Hound of Heaven. You're familiar with it. Although Thompson was a follower of Christ, he struggled with poverty, he struggled with poor health, he tried to hide from Christ for a period of time in his life. But Thompson also knew the unrelenting love of Jesus, the Hound of Heaven. And in the poem, Jesus pursues Thompson with, quote, unhurrying chase an unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, and majestic urgency. He hears the feet of Jesus beating after him. Amazing words. John Stott passed away a few years ago. And in a biography of John Stott, Stott refers to Thompson's poem, According to Stott, he owes his faith in Christ not to his parents, not to his teachers, or not even to his own decision. But he says to Jesus, the hound of heaven. And Stott writes this, My faith is due to Jesus Christ himself, who pursued me relentlessly, even when I was running away from him, in order to go my own way. And if it were not for the gracious pursuit of the hound of heaven... I would today be on the scrap heap of wasted and discarded lives. The father ran to his son, filled with love and filled with compassion. He wanted to be there to make a statement about his love for his son. 
He didn't want the village to chase him out of town and make him feel like he shouldn't come home. He was there before anyone else could get to him and he was filled with love and compassion for his son. There is a Jewish custom that when a son disgraces his father through sinful behaviors, runs away from him and then later returns, that the elders of the city take the young man to the village center and they break a pot at his feet. And the broken pot is a legal act of banishment. It is possible that the father runs to his son so he can prevent this really awful event he fears, others banning him from community. Don't you get bothered when someone makes a comment to a son or daughter on their way home to God and they discourage them? They judge them? And they turn them away. Nothing gets my ire more than that. Oh, we want to protect from that. So the father runs. So the father is filled with love and compassion. And he orders the finest robe for his son. He puts a ring on his finger and he puts sandals on his feet. And he calls for the finest calf in the corral to be prepared as a celebration feast. Friends, this is an amazing statement of acceptance for his son. The whole community will know the son is wearing the father's robe, the finest robe, the best robe. There's a message there, the best robe. The son has a ring in his finger. It's probably a signet ring, which means that he's trusted. The son is trusted again. Wow! After what he's done, the son is trusted again. The son has sandals on his feet, a sign that he's a free man. He's not a slave. He's a free man. He's still his father's son. And all will be invited to the community celebration to eat the meat that has been prepared. What a statement by the father. The son comes home and falls into the arms of grace so he can be the me he wants to be. Friends, I hope we don't miss this message to our lives today. And if you ever need this, maybe right, not right now, but if you ever need this reminder for the future, I hope you'll tuck this truck truth away. Because maybe you'll need it for your child one day. Or maybe you will need it for a person very close to you who has hurt you. And yet, they will need to come home too. And you will be able to help them home. The Father's been waiting. The father runs to the edge and he sees you coming and he waits with open arms. You can fill, fall into the arms of grace and be saved. You can be accepted and you can be forgiven and you can start again. Friends, you can start again. Is there ever a better message in all the gospel, in all the world than that?
If you come to yourself, if you come to your senses, and you recognize your need, you have a father that's waiting for you. Fall into his arms. Do it today if you've been running. Do it today. I, I'm so amazed that the Father loves us when we don't have it all together. He, he doesn't just love us when we have all the pieces neatly fit together and it makes a nice picture and we smell great and we have nice families. No. It was for that sin-infested, pig-smelling, years-wasting son who returned in a mess that the Father gave his finest finest robe you can come to the party with dirty clothes as long as you come with a broken heart and a repentant heart the father will see you and he will run to you friends I can't say it enough this is the finest picture of the father you will ever find this is the finest right here a father that runs to you a father that loves you a father that forgives you, a father that reconciles with you, a father that gives you a brand new start. Say yes to him unconditionally today and fall into the arms of grace. Well, then the older son. Now while we're on the balcony gazing out at these three individuals, just think about the older son. I know he doesn't appeal to us very much. He's a whiner. He's a spoil sport. He's selfish. He's the guy that can't shake hands at the end of the game. He's tough to deal with. He needs a kick in the pants. That's my bias coming out. The older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time you never gave me even one, one goat, one young goat, for a feast with my friends. Yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes and you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And dad says, come on, come on, you've always been with me. And everything I have is yours. But don't you get it? Don't you understand grace? Your brother was dead. He's come back. He was lost. And he's now found. Don't you get that? Don't you see how wonderful that is? Uh, of course we know, and there's a context to this, that Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And clearly there's a postcard that's sent very specifically for these people to pick up on, on their way home that day. They just had to put a couple of things together. But without trying to connect all those contextual relationships, I, we, we just have another picture of lostness here. And that's what I would like to underscore. That you can be lost and leave home with your inheritance and just blow it. You can be lost. Or you can be lost and stay home with your dad and still miss it. There are some obvious and I would say tragic things that happened in the older brother's life that also called for the father's compassion. He slaved for his dad and never once disobeyed him, but he never got a celebration banquet. But he too didn't understand sonship. He was working 
working, 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 trying to get the father's approval. He already had it. He already had it. He just needed to accept it. He just needed to live with his father and love him and respond to him and, and be a son. But somehow he didn't get it. Didn't feel at home with his dad. Wasn't happy with his father. He didn't understand grace. He didn't understand his brother. He didn't rejoice in the grace that dad was giving to the younger brother. But he didn't give himself any grace either. He didn't. He didn't measure up to what he wanted in his life. He was dedicated to a work ethic that would bring approval, but not a grace that would bring forgiveness and relationship. Somehow things got twisted in his life, and this whole sense of approval and self-righteousness began to float to the top. It was a different sense of how you relate to your dad, to your father. It wasn't the Abba Father relationship. Do you know what I mean? It, it, and friends, it just happens today as well. You can be connected in the church. You can be connected in the community. You can be connected in your family and still feel like you're lacking in a relationship with the Father. That somehow church has become formalized or somehow it's become a works program or somehow it's stacking one good brick upon another but yet without a sense of Abba without a sense of relationship. National Security Advisor under the former Bush administration, Condoleezza Rice, tells this story. She said, although I've never doubted the existence of God, I think like all people I've had my ups and downs in my faith. When I first moved to California in 1981 to join the faculty at Stanford, there were a lot of years when I was not attending church regularly. I was a specialist in international politics, so I was always traveling abroad. I went to church one Sunday and I heard the story of the elder son in the parable. It set the elder son up not as somebody who had done all the right things, but as someone who had become so self-satisfied. A parable about self-satisfaction and complacency in the faith and people who didn't somehow expect themselves to, be, to need to be born again can be complacent. And she said, I began to think of myself as that elder son who had never doubted the existence of God but really wasn't walking in faith in an active way anymore. It was a turning point in my life. He said, whether we're away in a far country, we're lost. Or whether we're at home in a church and away from the heart of the Father, we're lost. Good work seems to be the dominant theme for the older son. A feeling of being internally righteous. And yet the father lovingly comes to the person who is work-oriented and says, everything I have is yours, you know that. You are so close, you are so close, you just about get this, but yet your heart is caught in your own righteousness. So come home, come home. Even though you are home, Really come home and come to see my grace. Really fall into the arms of grace. Really fall into the arms of grace. Friends, time is gone. From the balcony, three important people, younger son, father, and older son.
Who is the me that I really want to be? I mean, you could almost move with the flow and find yourself connecting with all three. At times, I've been the prodigal. Sometimes I've been like the father in a position to watch and wait and extend some grace. And sometimes I've been the older son, smug in my own righteousness and pride and missing the intimacy of the relationship with my own heavenly father. There's a prayer on the closing slide. Karen, if you would put that up. I trust maybe this puts some words to what your heart and mind might be saying this morning, what my heart is saying. Let me read it, see if it makes sense to you. Father, I'm coming home to you today. I've been away from your heart. I admit my need. I humble myself before you and fall into your arms of grace. Forgive my sins, Father, through Jesus Christ. I say yes to you today, Jesus. I believe you died and rose again. Come and take control of my life. I surrender to you and invite you to be the leader in my life. If that connects with your heart, would you kind of use it as a structure this morning to invite Christ to occupy your life? Just make it your prayer. Just make it your prayer as you kind of quieten your heart and bow before him now. Father, I'm, I'm coming home to you today. I've been away from your heart. I've been away from your heart. I admit my need. I humble myself before you. And I fall into your arms of grace. Forgive my sins, Father through Jesus Christ. I say yes to you today, Jesus. I believe you died, rose again. Come and take control of my life. I surrender to you, and I invite you to be the leader of my life. Lord, this is our prayer. In response to that amazing grace that has been poured out into our lives through Jesus Christ. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.